Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. And sometimes we think that God actually is the one that is hurting us, but that's actually not the heart of a father. That's not the way that God does. That's called child abuse. But what I've realized is that God allows us to experience pain actually because he loves us and he's more concerned with who we're becoming than the conditions that we're in in the moment. The word that God put on my heart for us as a church family, I was driving and I said, God, what do you have for us as a church family? That simple. And he said, strengthen. And I believe that God wants to strengthen us so that whatever life throws at us, we'll be able to make it through and to overcome. And so when we, God and I had that exchange, and then I was actually, I was getting ready for a wedding ceremony that I was about to, to do, it was in November, and, and all of a sudden, I wasn't thinking anything spiritual, but all of a sudden, I sense the presence of God like come into that place and actually bring me to my knees. I haven't had experiences like this too many times. There's like thunder going on behind me. I think it's just the sound. There they go. Um, And it brought me to my knees and God began to speak to me. And he began to say, strengthen. He said, I did not tell you to strengthen the church, I was telling you that I'm going to strengthen the church. And then he did this. He actually began to take me through our journey. When in 2011, I woke up in the middle of the night and heard God say, plant a church in San Marcos. And then, as we would head to our, our Sunday evening and then Sunday morning gatherings, God would, I'd say, God, what are you doing this morning? And he would say repeatedly, building a family, building a family, building a family. And then one morning, what he said changed. And he said, advance. And when he said advance, what I heard was two things. I heard one was he was saying advance, like way to go. It's graduation time. It's time to move forward. And then the other way that I heard it was actually as a command, it's time to move forward, advance. And he began to take me through when when we were in a team meeting in November of 2017, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we were talking about something, and I, I stopped everybody and said, I feel like God just said that we need to prepare to grow significantly. And so we changed our plans. I, got, I started talking to the school district. We were meeting at Bowie at that point. And I I talked to the team, everybody was in, and we said, okay, we're going to, in the next six weeks, get everything together so that we can take steps to move to good night. What's interesting is that God actually did what he said he was going to do. You see, it's actually the desire of God that he would put grace on our lives in a way that would strengthen us so that we could step into all that he has for us. So that we could actually go through anything that the world would throw at us and stay victorious. 
So I'm excited to step into this new year because I believe that God wants to strengthen us. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think the verse may show up on the screen behind me also. So if you don't have the Bible on your phone or in your hand in the old school hard print, uh, then it may be up there also. Here's a, a, a story that Paul's sharing that I... I think we've, we've missed, I've heard it misrepresented before, but we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 7. It says this, and it's halfway through the verse, it says, Therefore, in order to keep from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Everybody say, a messenger of Satan. If it's a messenger of Satan, where did it come from? Satan right? Okay. Keep that in the back of your mind. To torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Let's read that together. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. It says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me first say this to you. It's important that we understand the source of the messenger or we will misunderstand the character of God. You see, the, the source of the messenger was not God. It was a messenger sent from Satan. And if we think that it was from God, then we'll misunderstand the heart of God, the heart of a father. God is not sending. He is not partnering with the enemy to grow you, but instead... He will use the attacks of the enemy to grow you and to shape you into who he's always created you to be. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And it's important also that you know when it talks about thorns, throughout the Bible, the, the metaphoric, prophetic language of thorns throughout the Bible is always connected to an adversary or a persecutor. So I've heard it preached before that God actually is leaving you stuck in your sin so that you'll learn to depend on him. That's not true. God's better than that. He, he's not saying, oh, you're just going to struggle with this sin issue for the rest of your life so that maybe you'll just learn that you're weak and he's strong and that you need him. No, he's better than that. I've heard people say that it, maybe it was like this ailment or this sickness, but he's actually better than that. Instead, what was going on in Paul's life is that everywhere he went, there were people persecuting him, that they were coming behind him, and they were undoing the work that he did. The whole book of Galatians is about that happening to the church in Galatia, that 
he's going and preaching the gospel, and these people come by who are Jewish, and they're trying to Judaize the people that Paul's just set free under the gospel because he wants them to return back. They want them to return back to the yoke of slavery, not actually because they care about the Galatian church, but because it would make it easier for the Jewish people. And so everywhere Paul goes, there are these tormentors, there are these adversaries that are coming against him and undoing the work that he has done. And so it's important to understand that God isn't sending those people. But here's what God is saying to him, is I'm not going to wipe them out, instead I'm going to strengthen you so that you can be victorious right in the middle of persecution, right in the middle of hardship, right in the middle of trial. We're talking about a guy who was shipwrecked, who was beaten five times with 39 lashes. Five times. Here's why he was beaten, by the way. You get the lashes, 40 minus 1, for, for one reason. Or one reason they give you those lashes is because 40 would typically kill you, so they would back off a little bit so you would be at the edge of death instead of die. But if, if you were in the synagogue preaching heresy, then the punishment was 39 lashes to your back. The first time. The second time, you actually got that punishment twice if you ever wanted to go back into the synagogue. So you'd get 39 lashes, you would heal up, and then you would get 39 lashes again so that they could teach you a lesson. And so Paul gets kicked out of the synagogue three times and goes back and he gets the lashes five times because of his love for the people and his determination to see the gospel advance. Got a man who was shipwrecked, who was stoned to death. They actually thought he was dead, and most likely he was, and then resurrected back to life. And what God is saying to him is this. It's more significant that my strength is in you than just for you. You see, when we're kids, we like for everybody to do things for us, right? Like, Mom and Dad, would you make me juice? I want a snack. That's what I hear, like, all day, especially on Christmas break. It's like, let's go back to school so we can stop hearing that. But, but so often, we begin to step into adulthood, and instead of partnering with the presence of God in us, we want God to do everything for us. And God is actually more interested in your character than in your condition. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about your condition. He cares deeply about it. But he want, what he wants to do is actually work in you in a way that you can always be victorious. So the next time that thing comes at you, you can just step right over it. And so often what we want to do is just say, God, would you just fix everything for me? And we want to stay as fully grown infants instead of as mature adults. Lauren's been reading this book, and it's incredible, blowing her mind, and then she gives me the Cliff Notes version, which is a way better way to read a book. And so the author says this, that we become an adult when we take 100% responsibility for our lives. And so often we're wanting God to fix things for us when he actually wants to fix things in us and through us. And what he, the reason is, is because what he does 
in you, he wants to begin to do through you for others. So that the victory that you have becomes not only your victory, but a shared victory. He wants to strengthen you in that way. I've shared with you before about three years ago, this time three years ago, I was struggling in depression, which is not a great way to start a church. But I was fighting, quite honestly, for my emotional life. It was really, really difficult. And it wasn't just difficult on me. It was difficult on our family um, because when, when dad's struggling, everybody's struggling. Uh, Lauren was super strong in that season. But what I wanted to happen was that God would suddenly make my emotions better. Now, I, th- I think that there's two different types of depression. There is a depression that starts off chemically and begins to change the way that we think. But then there is also a depression that is rooted in the way that we think, actually instructing the chemicals in our mind. Does that make sense? And so one needs physical healing, and the other needs psychological healing. And so here's what God did in me during that season. He didn't just take stuff away, because actually I think what happened is that he was lifting one level of grace and giving me a different one. Let me explain. Those thought patterns had actually been there my whole life. And up until that point in life, he had given me the grace to exist and have joy and peace with those thought patterns operative in my life. But he pulled off that grace because he actually wanted me to move into a new season of strength and maturity because there was no way that I was ever going to go where God was wanting to lead me with that thinking still in my mind. And so he lifted that grace and he put a different grace in me. And it was a tenacious, ferocious grace that was going to fight like crazy for health. And so I began learning how to take my thoughts captive. And I began digging into every thought that was plugging the way that I, that I lived in my emotional state, every lie I was believing. And here's what I found. I found that Romans 12.2 is true. That we're actually transformed by the renewing of our mind. That actually, here's what's incredible. Neuroscience is finally caught up with God a little bit in this way. It's, it's uh, called neuroplasticity. Say neuroplasticity. And the, for a long time, they thought that our brains were hardware, that, that everything was fixed and set and it functioned a certain way. But what neurologists is, have actually discovered is that our brain is actually software, that actually the way that we think actually informs the way that our brain develops. And so you can actually reshape the wiring of your brain based on the way that you think. And so if you spent like a year thinking critically and negatively about everything, then it would actually rewire your brain to think that way naturally. You wouldn't even have to try. It would just go there. Some of you have lived there way more than a year, and it's time to move on this year. But what I, what I actually found 
I haven't done a brain scan to see that this is true, but what I believe actually happened is that God actually changed the way that I think and actually transformed the way that my brain is wired through that season so that I learned how to take every thought captive and I learned to think victoriously and I learned not to get so caught up in what other people think about me, but, but rest firmly rooted in the truth of God in my life. And as I fought through that season with the truth of God as my weapon, it reshaped the way that I lived. You see, I wanted God to lift it from me, but what he actually wanted to do was live victoriously in me. And I believe that God wants to strengthen you in the same type of way. Go with me to Philippians 4. I see this as quite possibly one of the most uh, misrepresented verses, along with that thorn verse. I can find Philippians. Got a new Bible. And it's a little bit hard to find everything. All right. Philippians 4.13. It says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. When we take this out of context, it becomes a great slogan for sports teams. <laughs> I can do everything. I got this. I am going to win and you are going to lose because God gives me strength. But when we realize what Paul's actually saying in the context here, he's talking about all of the hardships that he's faced and that he knows what it's like to live in abundance. And he knows what it's like to live with next to nothing. And he realizes this, that the source of his well-being is not his circumstances, but it's actually based on who is in him living through him. And so I made up my own translation. Is it going to come up? Come on. It says this. This is actually, I went back to the Greek and looked at what it actually is saying. And it says this, I have strength. And then it says this phrase for the word strength that I thought was incredibly brilliant. It says strength that gets into the fray. Say into the fray. Here's not what it says. It doesn't say strength that runs from the fray. But actually what God wants to do is give you strength that runs into the fray so that you no longer have fear to step into anything that the enemy throws at you. It says, I have strength, strength that gets into the fray for all things through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. And that word strength there is very different than the word strength that we translate as I can do all things, but it's actually this word strength into the fray. The second strength is this Greek word dunamis. Say dunamis. And dunamis is where we actually get the word dynamite from. It's like this explosive power of God given to me. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you dunamis. He'll give you power. And so here's what that's saying. Is that I actually have strength not to live a nice, cushy life 
surrounded by comfort with all of the money that I need and everybody around me likes me. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that I have strength to get into the very messiest of situations and see God move victoriously. I have strength. You have strength to get into the middle of the mess and see Jesus glorified. You have strength in you that no matter what life throws at you that you can live victorious. You won't be taken out because of him who gives you strength and puts it in you. Somebody say amen. amen. You have strength to get into the fray. Say, I have strength to get into the fray. I have strength to get into the fray. And where you sense that you lack the strength to get into the fray, what you do is you lean in to God and allow him to give you the strength that you need so that you can do all that he's called you to do. Amen. Talked about this before, Romans 8 says this, that I am more than a conqueror. There is supposed to be nothing that life throws at you that you can't be victorious in because the, the one who lives in you is victorious over all. Jesus says this in this incredible, really, sermon that he preaches to his disciples right before the cross. This is in uh, John chapter 16, verse 33. It says this, In this world you will have many troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I went to the cross and I resurrected and I put my spirit in you. So now you can just go to heaven and live a comfortable life from here on out. You see, if a ticket to heaven was the only goal of your salvation, then God would have taken you there right when you gave your life to him. But he actually wants to do something in you. Steve's been saying this for a while now. It's, John, it's a couple of verses after this. John 17, 3, it says this. And this is eternal life to know God. This is eternal life to know God. So eternal life doesn't start when you die, but it's actually, and it's not even about a destination. It's about a relationship that you would know God. And that word know is gnosis. And the, the meaning of gnosis is this, is that I would know experientially. You see, eternal life is this. The whole point of life is this, is that you would know God and that the God that you know would live in you in such a way that you would have so much strength that nothing life throws at you would ever take you out. God's saying, hey, let's, let's go a little higher, Sozo Church. Let's move on up. I'm taking you higher. I'm putting strength in you so that you can live as an overcomer, so that you can be more than a conqueror. That's what you were created to be. And so the question is, How? How do I get there? First, we have to understand that God actually is more interested in relationship with you than anything else. He wants relationship with you. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 say this. They say, Paul writes here, he says, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with, thanks, with, thanks, with thankfulness. Here's what Paul is saying. Actually, Timothy writes this with him, I think. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's what they're saying is this is as you started by faith this journey, so you actually continue by faith. 
somehow in Christianity we've started seeing it this way. That you start by faith and then you continue by works. Right? And we've spiritualized it. And, and here's what's incredible is that to an extent it actually works. That you actually can start by faith and continue by works. Let me, let me explain why. One is that when you live by works, you're living by principle instead of by the presence, okay? And principle isn't bad, it actually works. There are kingdom principles that people have used all over the world to become successful and happy and see progress in their lives. The principles work, but the problem is, is that the principles without the presence are still lifeless, okay? The second thing, and really the church has created an incredible environment for this to work, is that we can continue by works what we started by faith when we're addicted to performance. And see, what the church does so often, I'm sure I've done this before, is that we look at people's outward condition and how hard they work and how much they serve in order to promote them instead of what God is actually doing in them. And so the people that are really good at performing are often really good at hiding, and so they stay stuck and they don't actually mature. They just work harder. Now, I'm not against working hard and serving God, but it's always from a place of faith, never so that I would earn anything. And you see, I think God wants to strengthen us by faith, not by works. And what that means is not that you do. James chapter 2 is very clear that we actually take steps of faith that we actually do works in response to faith. You understand? So faith works. It actually does something. You can't sit in your chair all day and say, I've got faith that God's going to provide for me. And I'm just going to go maybe to the mailbox and check and see if anything. And God will provide for you miraculously. But here's the way that faith actually works for provision. This is just an example. Is that by faith, instead of by self-reliance, I actually go to work. Or by faith, instead of by self-reliance, I look for a job. I pray about it. I say, okay, God, what does it look like? And then when I get the job, what I do is I work with my whole heart as if it was for him and not for me. And so it doesn't mean that I, I just start striving and, and trying to make everything happen on my own, but instead I partner with him in order to make it happen. Why? Because God is always after relationship. That Word relation, or that word faith is best understood as trust. That as we started in a trusting relationship with God, so we continue in a trusting relationship with him. That's actually how we grow. You see, faith is not something that I muster up, and it's not let me believe harder, but it's actually faith is let me dive deeper into relationship with God. The reason why most of us don't continue by faith, though, is because we actually allow our experiences to determine how we see the character of God, instead of allow the Holy Spirit through Scripture to reveal who God is. And so then what happens is this, we develop an intellectual or an experiential offense against God. And, and we do it. I was thinking about this, the difference between Job and Paul. Both went through incredible hardships. Job just 
ask why eventually. Paul actually says, he doesn't ask why, but he actually begins to partner with God for breakthrough. And so often we want God to do things for us that he actually wants to do through us because he wants to strengthen us. And so when we begin to understand that faith is a relational word and that God's actually trying to grow us through relationship, then it changes the way that we do all that we do. Because now I'm looking for deeper relationship with him instead of trying to perform for him. And so I have like intellectual offenses and I have areas that I don't understand. And so I actually press into God for the truth on those things so that I can walk deeper in relationship. About two weeks ago, uh, Lauren and I were having a conversation. I, I, you've probably done this before. I hesitated to bring up what I brought up. It was a, an area that we hadn't talked much about in our marriage, and we had this like set point, this way of operating, this way of, of living that was kind of our norm. And so I was like, man, I'm about to interrupt the norm. And as much as I know she loves me and I love her, I'm not totally comfortable going there. We've been married for almost 13 years. There's not a lot of topics in our marriage that are like this. But I, I knew for the sake of relationship that I actually had to, to start the conversation. It wasn't that she was doing something wrong. It was just an area that we needed to talk about in our relationship, which is why I'm not going to talk about what we talked about here. <laughs> because if I waited nearly 13 years to talk about it with her, I'm not quite ready to talk about it from here. And so I, I started that conversation, and quite honestly, I did not know how it would go, not because I don't trust Lauren, but just because it was uncharted territory for our relationship. But I knew that if I wanted our marriage to move beyond the norm that we had set for it, that I actually had to bring this up. How incredible it would have been if uh, she would have brought it up or if God like, would have given us both a dream at night and just made this thing, like, or fixed it or whatever, you know. But I knew that God wanted me to bring it up, and so I brought it up. And what happened is we had this really long conversation, way more in depth than what I brought up. And it's actually deepened our marriage. It strengthened our marriage, but it took me taking a step of faith, not knowing what was going to happen when I went there. Now, some of you probably have that in your marriage, maybe most of you, that there are these areas that we haven't pressed into because we're not sure how it's going to go. But I'd like to suggest more than that, more than being interested in your marriage, which I actually am interested in, I'm interested in your relationship with God. And I think we establish norms with God that we so often don't move out of. That there are areas that we don't press into, and so we may even pray every day and read our Bible every day. We may serve like crazy, but we've stopped going deep with God. But God, what God wants to do is actually move you deeper with Him. There's this principle in health, which I am, am not... Uh, incredibly uh, educated or knowledgeable on, but I know this, this principle seems to be true, that there is what's called a set point. And that as much as you want to lose weight, most likely you'll put all the weight on that you lost. I don't want to ruin your New Year's resolutions. Unless you change much more than that for much longer than that. 
And so often we try to run and make these quick changes when what God is actually wanting to do is much deeper than that. He wants to change our set point. He wants to change our norm. He wants to change what every day looks like. And he's more interested in doing it in you relationally because he actually wants to build a deep abiding trust with you. And so he wants you to press into those areas. I was driving on, on Hopkins and God just began to speak to me on these areas that he's actually like stepped in with me that have changed the way that I've seen him. I just want to, I think I wrote him down here. Remember, it was probably 2010 where I was introduced to the idea of hearing God's voice. Like there had been times spontaneously when God would speak to me, but there was this reality that I recognized that through the spirit of God in me, God didn't just want to speak to me spontaneously, but he actually wanted to speak to me in normal relationship all the time. And when I realized that, it changed my set point. It changed the way that I live my life. A few years later, I started recognizing that there was more in praying for physical healing than I had been experiencing. Like I had prayed for a couple of people and seen them healed. But I realized in Scripture that seemed to be the norm, not the exception, that people got healed. And so I started pressing in because I needed my set point to change on healing from just maybe hopefully God will come through to where I recognize what Jesus was expressing that it actually becomes the norm. So I begin to press in in partnership with God in that area in order to change the way that I think. Which led me to praying and understanding and diving into the goodness of God. Because if you don't understand the goodness of God, then healing doesn't make sense. And so I had to partner with him in order to see him differently so that my set point in that area of life would begin to change my norm, my understanding, which leads to then trying to understand his sovereignty and his will because if you don't understand that, then you don't understand his goodness and then healing doesn't make sense. Does that make sense? Just to me, okay. And then that led me to diving in deeper on... Uh, personal authority and power as a believer. And, and you see, what happens is so often we allow life to happen to us, and so we have these experiences, and we develop a theology that we live out of based on, on one or two experiences instead of diving into relationship with God, instead of spending time in prayer and learning and, and pursuing Him so that we actually have breakthrough and actually live beyond our experiences. And so now I'm determined in this way. Instead of allowing my experiences to shape my theology, I want my theology to shape my experiences. Does that make sense? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me to believe something about God without experiencing it. If the knowledge of God that it always talks about in Scripture is a relational, experiential knowledge of God, then it's my desire that if it's true, that it becomes my reality. It becomes the place that I operate in. And so my encouragement to you this year is that I believe that God wants to strengthen you so that you'll be able to walk through anything. I actually believe this is going to be an incredible year. I just have a sense that for us it's going to be an incredible year. But I believe that God wants to strengthen you through every hardship, through every difficulty, through everything. He's not throwing stuff at you, but he is saying, hey, I'm going to call you to rise up above this. 
But I believe that the way we do that is that we press into God in faith. That we don't allow what we don't understand to lead us away from God, but actually to draw us near to God. See, I believe, I've said this before, I believe that mystery is an invitation to intimacy from God. That God's actually saying, hey, if you don't understand this, then I'm actually inviting you into it. Proverbs says it this way, 25.2, it says this, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. Did you know that you're kings? That's how God sees you, is that you're kings. And so here's the truth behind that scripture. It is the glory of God to conceal something. He's not hiding it from you, but he's hiding it for you because he's inviting you deeper into relationship. And it's the glory of kings that we would actually search it out, that we would find the treasure that God has hidden for us. And so we begin to say, you know what, I'm not just going to take life as it comes, but I'm actually going to allow the Spirit of God to strengthen me, which means that I take steps of faith in order to grow and to become all that he has for me. So I'm not going to allow my experiences to determine my perception of God, but I'm actually going to allow Scripture and the truth of who he is to determine my experiences. And so I'm not going to settle for something less than I know to be in line with the character of God. I believe that God wants to deepen us in him. And that we don't do it by works, but that we actually do it by faith. It's all a relational journey. God wants to strengthen you. And so I would encourage you in this way, that you would make a practice of being in your Bible daily and in praying daily. But that's not enough. You see, I spent years in practice of reading my Bible daily and praying daily, and it did very little for me. Why? Because I was on a journey of works instead of on a journey of relationship. And so I don't want you just to pray and to read your Bible, but I actually want you to go on that journey with God. Does that make sense? It's a small tweak that changes the trajectory of life. Is that when I realize, hey, God, I'm, I'm not trying to read my Bible for God. I'm actually trying to read my Bible and pray in relationship with God. He's there as soon as I open the page and actually even before that. And so when we realize that God's actually inviting us deeper, he's not asking us to do things for him but with him, it changes the way that we do everything. Because God wants to strengthen you, but he does it through faith, through a relational journey. The second thing I want to encourage you to do as we step into this year is that you would press in. Where you have been offended by God, where things haven't made sense, maybe you've been offended by people in the church. Why do they do this? I don't understand what that means. He says you heard from God. That doesn't make any sense. I haven't had that experience. That instead of being offended, that we would actually allow those things that don't make sense to us to actually send us on a mission to pursue God. That you would even, maybe this afternoon, you would go home and write down two or three areas that you say, hey, I want to know experientially the character of God in my life in this area, and I'm going to press in until it makes sense to me, until I actually live that way. It's not enough to talk about healing. It's not enough to pray for healing. We need to be a people that actually walk in the power of God to see that happen. It's not enough to, to just go to a training on prophecy, but I actually want to integrate that into my life so that everything I do is in response to and in relationship with God. I don't just want to be able to be on a prophetic team and give some prophetic words and hopefully encourage people, but I actually want to live a prophetic life. I don't want what I've been experiencing 
in my finances to be how I see God as my provider, but I actually want to press into him to learn what it looks like to steward all that he entrusts to me, not as a pauper, but as a prince. So I'm going to dive into those areas. What is God inviting you into? Because I believe he's not just inviting us to get through stuff so that we get to him, but he actually wants to walk that journey with you so that he can deepen you and strengthen you. And here's the greatest part of it all. We get to live with Christ in us. And so what we're wanting to do is step into experientially what is legally already ours. God put his whole kingdom in you. It's all in you. It's yours. And so it would make sense that we would begin to live with all that we have. So in a minute, what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of communion. And what communion is, is it is a prophetic reminder of what we have, that we actually have a common shared union with God, that actually God is in us through Christ by the Spirit of God. And so as we take the bread, what we are doing is we are remembering the body of Jesus broken for us so that we could be healed and walk in relationship with him. And we're remembering the, in, in the, the juice, we're remembering the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us so that we could be in a new covenant relationship with him. And here's what's great about the new covenant is it has nothing to do with your performance and everything to do with what Jesus accomplished for us. And so we live from the new covenant, not trying to, to make it happen. Because the new covenant was not between us and God, but it was actually between Jesus and the Father, and then we step into it as the bride of Christ by faith. Which is so incredible, because Jesus is the active covenant partner, the active keeper of that covenant, not you. Which means that you can't mess it up. It's beautiful. It's awesome. So if uh, our communion servers would come forward and then our ministry team, if you have uh, need for prayer this morning, which probably all of us do, uh, then I just encourage you to let them pray for you. We did, our, our prayer team had uh, some words, um, one about a, a finger, somebody's finger that's hurting, and then another one about somebody's shoulder, but I just believe that God really does want to bring healing, not just physically, but in every area of your life. And that more than that, he wants to strengthen you by his spirit. So let's all stand. Would you repeat these declarations with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you're in me. That you strengthen me. That I'm an overcomer because you overcame. Thank you that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Thank you that I am the righteousness of Christ. And that I am more than a conqueror. That I am victorious. Because the victor lives in me. Thank you that you're calling me to higher places this year. And to deeper relationships. 
I want to step into it. Amen. So this morning, if you'd like to participate in communion, which I encourage you to do, what you'll do is you'll come forward and you'll take uh, one of these crackers and you'll dip it in uh, the, the uh, juice and you're going to allow them just to bless you. And then if you need prayer, this team would love to pray for you. And we're going to have a time of worship as we do that. We're just going to come forward uh, as you feel led. But Jesus, thank you for your body that was poured out for us. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that was poured out for us, for your body that was beaten for us. God, we don't take what you did lightly, but we recognize that all of that was so that we could walk in wholeness and in relationship with you. And so, Lord, we receive with deep gratitude and rejoicing what you have done for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.